part of our theme for 2020, this year that keeps on giving um, or taking, depending on your perspective. Um, but prayer is a part of our theme, so that's what I want us to focus on today. And um, just in case you have not been paying um, close attention, um, we have a number of opportunities that we have um, been taking advantage of for prayer. We have a daily prayer meeting at 6 a.m. every morning. Um, it's been going on now for um, over two months, going on to three months now. And um, we also have a weekly prayer every Friday at 7.30 p.m. And of course, um, you know of our monthly prayer, the last Wednesday in each month at 7.30 p.m. So please, if you haven't been joining us, um, click on that Zoom link and um, join us for our prayer times. Now, when it comes to prayer, some people seem to have a gift. And this gift enables them to pray, it seems, more effectively than the rest of us. And as we, as we listen to them pray, we can, we can almost feel their prayers troubling the very throne of God with answers that has to be guaranteed because surely not even God could resist such prayers. I've heard it said that prayer is a science and that there is a specific method that we should use when we pray if we want our prayers to be effective. I've heard that prayer is also an art and there must be a sense of spontaneity and genuineness to our words and emotions when we pray if we want our prayers to be effective. I've heard that prayer has its secrets that can only be discovered through time spent in our own secret place. And we must uncover and discover these secrets if we want our prayers to be effective. All of that sounds good, but none of it is actually true. Prayer is more than just the words we say or even how we say them. God hasn't hidden the secret of prayer from us, but he's actually revealed it to us. In his word, everything we need to know about prayer, he is revealed. The Bible tells us that the hidden things belong to God, but the revealed things belong to us. And so let's look at some of those revealed things when it comes to prayer today. My topic this morning is the simplicity of prayer. The simplicity of prayer. In Luke chapter 11, Verses 5 through 13, it says, Then he, being Jesus, said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine has stopped here while on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Then he will reply from inside, Do not bother me. The door is already shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, 
even though the man inside will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of the first man's sheer persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, although you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so Jesus, prior to um, getting into this aspect of his discourse on prayer, in Luke chapter 11, verse 1 to 4, we see what precipitated all of this. In verse 1, it says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place when one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So this is where, where we begin. This is where Jesus began responding to the request, Lord, teach us. Lord, teach us. So he said to them, verse 2, when you pray, say, this is what you should say. Father, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And do not lead us into temptation. It took me about 10 seconds to say that prayer that Jesus told his disciples to pray. 10 seconds. It's such a simple prayer. It takes only seconds to say. Now, this was a prayer that, that Jesus intended his disciples to, to repeat as a part of teaching them to pray. Now, this would not be the extent and the limit of their prayers forever. Of course not. Because in Matthew's gospel, Jesus presents it not as a prayer to be repeated, but more as a pattern of prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13, Jesus said this, so, when, so pray this way, our Father in heaven, may your name be honored, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we ourselves have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is still a very simple pattern of prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples. But in praying, Jesus didn't just tell them what to do. He also told them what not to do. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, he says the following. Whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Well, who wants to be like a hypocrite when they pray? That's some pretty strong words that Jesus said there. He says, when you pray, avoid hypocrisy. Don't be like the hypocrites. He says, because they love to pray while standing in the synagogues and on the street corners so that people can see them. Truly, I tell you, 
They have their reward. So Jesus is saying, you know, people who want to pray in public just so people can recognize their spirituality and say, wow, look at where he's standing on the street corner praying. Jesus says they have their reward. People have seen them. That's all they get. Verse 6, he says, but whenever you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your father in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus says, listen, it's not necessary for you to take your personal prayer to the streets. It's not necessary for you to take your personal prayer to church. You know, if you walked into the foyer on a Sunday morning and, you know, there I am having my personal time with God, praying out loud for everybody to hear, you would think I'm crazy. But yet this is what people did. But Jesus says they're hypocrites because they're only doing it to be seen. They want people to think they're spiritual, more spiritual than they really are. And that's their motive. And Jesus says, when people notice them, that's their reward. The second thing he told them not to do when they pray. He says in verse 7 of Matthew 6, when you pray, do not babble repetitiously like the Gentiles. Because they think that by their many words, they will be heard. Prayer is not simply an accumulation of words. You know, it is not. God didn't, didn't say, okay, when you get to 100 words, or when you get to 1,000 words, or God forbid, when you get to 10,000 words, that's going to make your prayer effective. And so when you run out of things to pray, when you run out of things to say, you just start repeating yourself over and over and over again because you think you have to pray for a certain length of time, or you think you have to accumulate a certain number of words in order for God to hear you. Jesus says, no. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. So if God knows what we need before we ask, all we have to do then is ask. Prayer becomes an act of faith because God already knows, and so we're only asking as a demonstration of our faith. Jesus says there's no, there's no special favor that you get because you accumulate a lot of words. I remember as a young Christian, I would pray forever. And then I get up off my knees and check the clock and two minutes had gone by. But I had prayed everything I thought I needed to pray. And I had nothing else to say. But I heard people tell me, listen man, you know, you, you need to go um, a minimum of half an hour. And I thought, good Lord. <laughs> but later on, I learned that, you know, a part of prayer is waiting. And sometimes you run out of words. There's no need to repeat yourself. If you need to say more words, the Spirit is going to provide those words. Yes. 
How can we hope to get results from such a simple prayer and from such a simple pattern for prayer? You know, we've come to doubt the success of simple prayers because we have elevated the importance of the prayer, the person who is praying, above the person, the God, to whom we pray. And so, so we seem to think that we need to, to be as eloquent as we can. We seem to think that we're supposed to pray for as long as we can, as if that's going to somehow impress God. But Jesus tells us differently. He says, listen, by the time you get on your knees, long before you get on your knees, God already knew what you were going to pray for. He knows what you need. We're going to talk about that some more later. But effective prayer is more about our relationship with the one to whom we pray than our ability to use our words and emotions to convince God to answer us. That may sound good to human beings. You know, and sometimes we, we tend to focus so much on the people who are hearing our prayers when we have corporate prayer meeting, we are more focused on the people that are listening to us than we are to, on the God who is listening to us. And so we craft our prayers for the people who are listening. And that's just like, that's no different from who Jesus called hypocrites. Because if we're praying to impress people and we impress people, then that's all we get out of that exercise. But Jesus didn't just offer his disciples simple words. He also gave them two basic principles, simple principles to be aware of when they pray. And these two principles are amplified by the two examples he uses to illustrate them. Number one, the principle of friendship and persistence. Friendship, Jesus says, gives us access. In Luke 11, verses 5 to 7, it says, Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Well, I don't know about you, but I ain't got too many friends like that. Whose house I would go knocking on their door at midnight and saying, you know, lend me three loaves of bread. Well, <laughs> in that culture, what they call a loaf was not the Bahamian loaf, right? You know, it was more like what we would call a roll, like a dinner roll size. And so three of them in that culture was what was considered a serving, a meal for an adult. And so Jesus was saying here that that. This was a situation where someone came to your house in the middle of the night, you know, they had been traveling, and they got to your house and you had no food. So you go to a friend at midnight and you say, verse 6, because a friend of mine has stopped there on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Then he will reply from inside, don't bother me. Now if he's a Bahamian, he probably can say more than that. 
He says, the door is already shut and my children are lying in bed, are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. In that culture, most of the people lived in one-room houses. And where they slept was simply elevated um, above the floor. And the whole family would sleep on that elevated area. And if they had any animals, the animals would sleep on the lower floor. And so, if you woke somebody up at midnight, even if you knew, okay, yeah, he'd sleep right below the window. So I go in right there and I get top on that window. So only him one can hear me. I ain't gonna disturb the whole house. But in order for him to get up and come to the door, he's probably gonna wake up everybody in the house. And that's why he said, listen, man, don't bother me. It's late. The door is locked. We're all in bed. Come back tomorrow. But Jesus emphasized here that the fact that this man felt like he was free to go to this person's house and make this request, he's saying that friendship is a key component in prayer. And there's a certain level of commitment that comes with that friendship. Of course, in this, in this parable or in this scenario that he's, he is talking about here, um, friendship with God is what he is emphasizing. But does God really consider us his friends? In 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 7, it says, Our God, you drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it as a permanent possession to the descendants of your friend Abraham. So Abraham is called God's friend. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11, it says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face the way a person speaks to his friend. And so we see in the Old Testament, Abraham is called God's friend and that God spoke to Moses face to face as a man would speak to his friend. But where does it say that we are God's friends? But Jesus tells us that he considers us his friends. In John chapter 15, verses 13 through 17, Jesus says, no one has greater love than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. And he wasn't just talking about those disciples who were there. Because he didn't just lay down his life for them. He was talking about us too. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. So he says, the only requirement for friendship with me is obedience to me. Verse 15, he says, I no longer call you slaves because the slave does not understand what his master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have revealed to you everything I heard from the father. Then he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit fruit that will remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. So Jesus says, you're my friends, not because you chose to be my friends, but because I chose you to be my friends. And then he ties the friendship with him to receiving answers to our prayers from the Father. He says, because you are my friends, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. 
So Jesus associates friendship with him and prayer with the Father. The hymn writer interprets this passage so beautifully. When he writes, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus, carry everything to God in prayer. Because we are friends of Jesus, we have access to the Father. Another verse says, can we find a friend so faithful who will all our short sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Friendship gives us access. Friendship with God gives us access to him. But persistence grants us success. In Luke eleven eight, 8, Jesus says, I tell you, even though the man inside will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. In other words, he says, friendship will only get you so far. Friendship will get you access. Friendship will give you the courage to go and knock on that man's door at midnight. But it won't automatically get you the answer. Because Jesus said to the man, well, listen, man, um, it's late, the door is locked, my family and I are in bed, go away, essentially. But the man who needs the bread doesn't go away. He stays there. He's not given up. He is determined to persist until he got the answer he needed. So Jesus says, even though friendship wasn't enough for the man to get up out of his bed, but the man who was asking his persistence got him to get up and to give him what he needed. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18, Paul says, um, always rejoice, constantly pray, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Now normally we separate verse 18 out of this. And we quote it by itself. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And that's true, but it's not the whole truth. Because this sentence begins in verse 16. Always rejoice, constantly pray, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will for us to always rejoice, constantly pray, and in everything give thanks. So we have to constantly pray. In Philippians 4, 6, it says, do not be anxious about anything. Instead, instead of being anxious, in every situation, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, tell your request to God. In every situation. When Daniel found himself in Daniel chapter 10, he had received a vision from God, but he didn't understand what it meant. He started praying. And he says... I started praying for the answer and I didn't eat any meat or any choice food. I didn't drink wine for three weeks. And then he later found out that the answer was on the way from day one. But the angel sent to take him the understanding of the vision 
That angel was opposed by the agent from the dark side, the agent of darkness, the prince of Persia, who opposed him for 21 days until the archangel Michael came to assist him. And then he was set free to go and deliver the answer to Daniel. But for those 21 days, Daniel prayed. He didn't pray nonstop, no. Because obviously he was eating. You know, um, I, I know some of us eat and pray, but. But the picture is of Daniel praying every day for that answer until the answer came. Persistence pays off is the message here. And that's what Jesus is getting at. He said, the man who asked for those loaves, he would not leave until his friend got up and gave him those three rolls of bread. So Jesus goes on, he says, so because persistence pays off, um, Luke 11, 9 to 10, so I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be open. Jesus is telling his disciples that because persistence pays off, you should keep asking until you receive. Keep seeking until you find. Keep knocking until the door is open. In Genesis chapter 32, we have the story of Jacob. He is returning to the land of Canaan, the land of promise. He is anxious about how his brother Esau is going to greet him because he hadn't seen Esau since he stole his blessing all those years ago. And so he's already sent his family and all his possessions across the Jordan into Canaan. And there he is at Peniel. And the Bible says that a man came that night and wrestled with him until daybreak. And then when the sun became to rise, began to rise because the man didn't overcome Jacob, he touched him on his hip socket and dislocated his hip. And something in Jacob woke up. And Jacob said, this man hasn't been able to do anything with me all night. And then he just touches my hip and it dislocates. There has to be more to this. This cannot be a man. This could only be God I've been wrestling with. And so he held on to him. And the man says, let me go because the sun is about to rise. And Jacob said, I won't let you go until you bless me. Yes, I'm tired because I have been wrestling with God all night. I'm in pain because God just dislocated my hip. I'm in discomfort. I'm exhausted. But I won't let you go unless you bless me. Oh, if we would just get to that point where we will hold on to God and say, I will not let you go. I will not let you go. But so often we give up so easy we haven't gotten the answer so why have we stopped praying in Luke chapter 18 Jesus tells the story of the persistent widow sometimes called the unjust judge this woman had been wronged by someone 
And so she went before the judge and she presented her case and she said, I need justice. And the judge, he might have known this person who, who, who wronged her. He might have been related to him. He might have been friends with him. For whatever reason, he refused to give her justice. And Jesus said, every day she came, give me justice. And for a time, the judge refused. But the woman just kept on coming until the man got, he got so frustrated. He said, listen, if this woman is going to drive me crazy with a constant pleading, her constant coming, it's cheaper. I just give her the justice she deserves and get on with my life. And so that's what he did. And Jesus says, if this unjust judge will respond to persistence. What about God? Won't he give justice to his chosen ones? Those who cry out to him day and night, will he delay long to help them? He says, I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Then he says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In other words, he's saying, you know something? We're going to be more and more likely. The more time goes by, the more likely we're going to be to stop being persistent in our praying. The more likely we're going to be to give up. The more likely we're going to be to faint in our praying. Friendship gives us access. Persistence grants us success in our praying. Second principle is this, the principle of relationship and faith. Jesus says relationship gives us access. Luke 11, verse 11 and 12. What father among you, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Just like he used the picture of a man going to his friend he uses this picture of a young son asking his father for some good thing. In this case, a fish or an egg. And this is how God sees us when we approach him in prayer. And this is why we can keep our requests simple. And God will respond by simply giving us what we need. This is how he desires to relate to us. However, in the same way this little child comes to their father in love and faith and total dependence, that's how God expects us to relate to him. See, we can't ignore him day after day after day. And then when we find ourselves in trouble, in dire circumstances, when we have no other choice, when there's no one else for us to turn to, we finally turn to him and call on him. No, this, this child-to-father relationship, Jesus says, it gives us a place of privilege. But are we really the children of God? We know that Jesus is the Son of God. But are we the children of God? In Ephesians 1, 3 to 5, Paul writes, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He did this 
by predestining us to adoption as his legal heirs through Jesus Christ, according to the pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, the next verse says. In Romans 8, 15, it says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery leading again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We have been adopted into God's family. And that gives us a place of privilege. We're now joint heirs with Christ. Everything the Father has belongs to us through Jesus Christ. But we don't see that always as a place of privilege. I know one of my friends, he had, he had four children, him and his wife had four children. And then a couple of years after their last child was born, they adopted another son. They had one boy and three girls, and they adopted another son. And I remember his, his adopted son said one time, you know, um, the other children were talking, and he said, you all came along by the natural process. You know, um, our parents couldn't send you back. They didn't have a choice. You were conceived, you were born, you were theirs. And he says, that's a special privilege that you have in this family. He said, but I wasn't born into this family. Our parents went to an orphanage and picked me out. They chose me. And that gives me a special place of privilege. No, we were not, when we were born, we weren't born into God's family. But when we were born again, we were adopted into God's family. And that gives us a special relationship with him, a place of privilege. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, John says, see what sort of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called God's children, and indeed we are. So Jesus said, if, if even evil, wicked, earthly fathers desire to provide good things for their children, how much more does a holy, righteous God desire to provide good things for his children? What a privilege we have of access to God our Father. And we have this access through prayer because he is our father. So Jesus says, once again, relationship gives us access. Yes, we can come to God anytime. We can come boldly before his throne and make our requests known to him. And Jesus said, we can do that because of our relationship as his adopted children. But he says, while relationship gives us access, faith gives us access. When a child asks his father for a fish, he is confident and expects that he's going to receive a fish. When he asks for an egg, he has the faith and confidence in his father that an egg will be provided. That is the simple faith of a child. You know, your children don't come with speeches until they get older. I don't know about you, maybe your kids are different. But when my kids were little, they simply came and they asked for what they needed or they asked for what they wanted. 
And it took them a while to learn that sometimes I say no. And sometimes they were persistent. And they kept asking. And sometimes I just broke down and gave it to them because I wanted them to stop asking. But as they got older, they started coming with a speech. You know, and I'd say, listen, enough of that. Just tell me what you want. So Jesus is saying, there's no need for us to go to God with a prepared speech. He already knows what we need before we ask. So like I said earlier, prayer is a simple act of faith. Us knowing that God is able to supply all our needs. But he still requires us to ask. But when we ask, when we persist in asking, when we demonstrate our faith, God will often do even more than we ask. You know, sometimes we have a need and we ask God for that need and we get exactly what we need. But there are other times he provides us with even more than we ask. In Matthew chapter 7 verse 11, Jesus says, if you then, although you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? In Luke's account, he takes it a little further. If you then, although you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Think about that. The greatest gift that God could give us was his son, Jesus Christ. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and personal Savior, we got the greatest gift there was. But the next one to it, the next greatest thing that God could give us is when we pray, Lord, fill us, baptize us with your Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, God is not going to withhold anything good from us. He will even give us the Holy Spirit if we ask. Why are we not asking? If God is willing to give us the most precious gift available, why are we not asking? In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul says, Now to him who by the power that is working within us is able to do far beyond all that we ask or think. So imagine that. We ask God and he gives us the Holy Spirit. And now, with the power of the Holy Spirit operating in us, when we pray, the effectiveness of our prayer goes into overdrive. Because nothing we can ask or imagine is beyond God's ability to supply. And this is a privilege that is not limited to a select few. There is no gift of prayer. There may be gift of healing, or there is gift of healings, and there is gifts of miracles, but there is no gift of prayer. Prayer is meant for everyone. And it's something that everyone can do. In James chapter 5 and verse 16, 
James says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now I know the King James adds the adjective fervent here. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous, righteous man availeth much. But fervent is not in the original Greek. And why they added it there, I'm not sure. Maybe because later on it says that, that um, Elijah prayed earnestly. And that may be why they added fervent here. But in adding this here, what that word did was it led us to focus on the type of prayer. That is, it must be fervent prayer when James's point is focusing on the type of person. As in a righteous person. So James isn't saying it takes fervent prayer to pray for people to be healed. No. He says it's the prayer of faith that will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. But here he's saying that when righteous people pray, when people who are in right relationship, in right standing with God, when they pray, they can see powerful results. This is why he uses Elijah as his example. Elijah was not the perfect prophet. He was far from it. He struggled with depression. He struggled with, with um, um, discouragement. At one point, he just threw his arms in the air and says, Lord, they've killed all your prophets. I might as well die too. But James said he was a human being just like us. In other words, he wasn't different. He was a man in right standing with God. He was a righteous man. And the Bible says he prayed earnestly. Literally, that means, if you translate the original Greek, it means he prayed with prayer. That it would not rain and there was no rain on the land for three years and six months. Then he prayed again and the sky gave rain and the land sprouted with a harvest. He prayed earnestly. He prayed with prayer. In other words, Elijah took his stand of faith in prayer. That was how he exercised his faith. He did it in prayer and then he prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain for three and a half years. He exercised his faith. He took his stand and he prayed. But when he prayed again, after he had defeated the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, he went up to the top of the mountain with his servant. He prayed and he asked the servant to go look out over the sea, see if he see any clouds. And he did that six times. The servant came back and said, I don't see anything. So he prayed again, persistence, seven times. And the servant came back and said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand rising up out of the sea. Elijah said, that's it. God has answered. Let's go. And he went back down and he met King Ahab and he said, listen, get in your chariot. You know, get back to Samaria because I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Listen, when we talk about speaking things that are not as if they are, that's what Elijah was seeing. Listen, a cloud the size of a man's hand, that's not a rain cloud. It's certainly not, not a torrential rain cloud. Cloud, Definitely not. But that is all that Elijah need to see. To know that God was going to answer. 
that was enough. Just that single little tiny cloud rising up out of the sea. Elijah said, okay, I can stop praying now because God has answered. Let's get back to Samaria. That's faith. That's faith. The least little sign we see that God has answered, that's faith. We began with the disciples saying, Lord, teach us. And we conclude with this. Anyone can learn. The way Jesus taught prayer, anyone could learn. Yes, there's some who have the ability to pray eloquently, but that's not a requirement. There's some who can really travail with great emotion in prayer, but that's not a requirement. There are those who can pray for hours and hours on end, but that's not a requirement. Jesus teaches us differently. He says prayer is like a man making a persistent request of his close friend, the principle of, of friendship and persistence. Prayer is like a child in faith making a request of his father, the principle of relationship and faith. And the grace and favor and goodness of God flows in both situations. See, when we go to a human for help, his ability to help us is limited by his resources. But we have a friend who not just owns the cattle on a thousand hills, he owns the hills, he owns the whole earth, he owns the whole universe. The effectiveness of a child asking a human father is limited by that human's father's ability and resources. But we have a father who is gracious and kind and generous and good and faithful. And if the effectiveness of our prayer of persistence and faith is limited only by the power and resources of our father, our father is all powerful and his resources are unlimited. A year ago, I fell in love with a chorus. I still love it today. It goes, I love you, Lord, for your mercy never failed me. All my days, I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head. Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. The second verse says, I love your voice. You have led me through the fire and in darkest night, you are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend and I have lived in the goodness of God. Let's pray to our friend and father with persistence and faith like Jesus taught us. There's been thousands of books written about prayer and a lot of them, they, they advocate a complex process. Jesus taught it in such a simple way. Straightforward, understandable, even a child could do it. As easy as a man talking to his close friend, as a child talking to his father. Let's all stand together.